God, thank you for your love today. Thank you that it is a love that endures forever. Thank you that, Lord Jesus, today as we come into this house, we come carrying baggage. We come, Lord God, with some have cried this weekend, some have laughed this weekend, some found joy, some have come in facing the hurdles and the trials of their life. But I thank you that we have a God that we can come to that that doesn't intimidate you today, Lord God. There's some that showed up today, God, that this is their first time here in a church, in a religious building. Let them not find simply religious people, but let them find Jesus today. And I pray, Lord God, that in everything we do, everything we do, Lord God, when people in this place leave here, they're not going to say what great preaching, what great music, not even what a great church. They're going to say what a great God they serve today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. Well, we get prepped for church, don't we? We know what we need to do for two hours and so we know we're going to sing, we're going to put on our best clothes, we're going to walk in here. That's why some of you, when you're walking in, you, you, you shushed your partner and just said, be quiet, don't you know we're in church? Because we feel like that once we get in here, we know how to do church for two hours. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity when he said, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man that he is. He says this, surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth about that man. If there are rats in your basement and you want to see them, all you got to do is go in suddenly and turn on the lights. He says the suddenness didn't create the rats. It only prevented them from hiding. And in the same way, when all of a sudden something makes you very angry, it doesn't simply mean that that situation caused the anger. It meant that it's always been there. It just showed up. See, that's what makes us real. We're real people. When we walk out of here, this is who we are. We're, we're going to get hurt. We're going to be angry. We are going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to scream like little girls when we ride a roller coaster. And if you talk to any of my children that are here right now, don't believe a word that they said about how I act on a roller coaster. But let me continue on. But not only that, we get afraid. And I began to realize this week or the last two weeks that I want to share with you. I want to be vulnerable, but I also want to share a verse with you. I found one of the rats that were living in my basement. And I found something. So I just want you to know, everybody, I am a recovering hypocrite. And I want you to understand what happens when something happens suddenly. See, this is easy to do for two hours. But it's the rest of the week that really messes us up, doesn't it? Let me give you a verse and then let me be vulnerable. It's Isaiah 54, 17. You may have heard it before. It says this, no weapon formed against me. What's the rest of it? And that's an exciting verse because it does tell us that not only are we in a war, but those things that have been come against us doesn't have to be leading or controlling our lives. It doesn't have to prosper. But the word that stood out to me is this word, no weapon formed against me. The word is an interesting word because it actually means to have something custom made for you. It means that you go, it was a pottery word, which means you go to the potter's shop and you go, I need this. These are the specs of the vase that I need. This is what I want to put in my house. So here are the dimensions and I want this put there. And so that potter makes it exactly for you, for your house. And so what the verse was telling us is that the enemy actually knows 
that what begins to show, show really the junk that's in our basements. Because what may tempt you or make you cry, be angry, or fearful may not be the same thing that makes me cry, be angry, and be fearful. Because the enemy, Taylor, makes every attack, every weapon against you is tailor-made for your life exactly the way you are and where you are today. And that's what I learned. I learned something about me after being in ministry for 35 years, being born again for even four decades, and we all still have rats in our basement, don't we? Let me be vulnerable. So I went ahead and did what I do every year, which is just three weeks ago, did my annual physical. And so what you have to do for your physical is you have to get your blood work before you go in so the doctor can talk to you. So I did, got my physical, I mean, got my blood work done. And then what I did was something I probably shouldn't have done was you were able to look at your results online before you go to the doctor. So I did that, and all of a sudden, I saw all of these red numbers, which means it wasn't average. I mean, I was either high or low in these things. And all of a sudden, the rats came out. And at that point, I have never been struck with fear. In my, I'm going, oh my goodness, I can't, this, and I'm looking at all this, and I'm not a doctor, I'm looking at these numbers, and I'm planning my funeral as I'm reading these red numbers. I'm looking at this going, well, it's been great, I've lived good for 54 years, who is Cindy going to marry? So I went through all of these things. And when I walked out, this is at 9.30 in the morning, when I walked out on my way to church, Cindy looked at me, she goes, what's wrong? She goes, I, it's been good, 20 years, we've had such a great marriage, and I think you're awesome. And then I got to the church, and all of our staff pastors going, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I was telling him, I saw red numbers, I, saw, I can't believe this, this is a, it's been great serving you, and I wanted just to thank all of you for what you've meant to me here at Times Square Church, and thank you. And I'm looking at this, and so... I'm already creating the tragedy and the story and the novel because the enemy knows what can get your mind going and the novel you can begin to create. I know I'm not the only one that has done that. I just want to make sure I'm not the only one. You know what it's like. You get a little bump or something goes wrong and then you Google dock it and then all of a sudden everything leads to the planning of your funeral. And so I'm looking at this thinking, these red numbers, that's it. And I remember walking, going to the doctor and he just literally looked at me and he goes, everything's fine. I said, what do you mean everything's fine? I've got red numbers. He said, he said, what did you eat the night before? You're supposed to fast. You're not supposed to eat a meal before. He says, that's why. He said, I'm not worried about anything. And then all of a sudden, I started to realize what those red numbers started to show. And, all, and, and, it, didn't even, and it got even worse that week because I'm so happy. This is one of the rare moments that when we come in the summer, I get to bring my family with me. And so to have Cindy and the children with me here is such a great blessing. And so I'm looking at my son and what we did was my one of the giftings that I that God has given to my son is he's a great swimmer and so we he swam state this week and um became one of the top 15 in the state in swimming is what I was watching him and he was doing absolutely fantastic on his breaststroke but we stayed in a hotel in New Orleans and so so I'm still dealing with red numbers I got red numbers and so I'm thinking this is my last tournament with him and this has been great and I'm gonna watch him and just go I love you man and so I'm sitting there and we get up the next morning and all over my feet are red dots I'm going now I've got bed bugs I said I've got red numbers I've got red dots 
And I just can't believe it. And so immediately while he's swimming his, his, for his life, I'm taking pictures of my feet and sending it to the doctor. And I'm going like, look at this. I've, I'm dying and I'm, I've got bed bugs. I'm going to itch and die at this very same time. And all the while that I'm looking at red numbers and red dots, and he looked at me, he goes, that's not bed, you're, you're not, you don't have bed bugs. This is, in down south, they have these things, There's, these are the mosquitoes that live in the grass called chiggers. And I said, chiggers? What is a chigger? I said, is that what you pull on a gun? Like, pull the chigger. And he goes, no, it's not. He says, this is what they, they he says, you don't have bed bugs. And the red numbers don't mean anything. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what's crazy. I can tell people about fear. I can tell everybody around the country and around the world, don't fear. And yet it's inside of me. And here's what's crazy. The red numbers and the red dots did something to me. Listen, because I realized, get this, fear is a revelation. It is a revelation about me and it shows me the areas that I don't trust God in. When you are fearful, it is a revelation about you and it's a revelation about me. It shows me something of the areas that I'm not trusting God in. I mean, it's amazing when we get blindsided and the lights come on and the rats start scurrying. No matter how old you are in Christ, don't judge your Christianity by these last two hours. It's when you walk out the door and something suddenly happens on the A train. That's how much of a Christian you are. Don't judge your Christianity as we're singing, I can only imagine. Let's wait until you get to the Lincoln Tunnel and I can only imagine what will be happening if there is a traffic jam. See, the prophet Elijah can't judge himself by 1 Kings chapter 18, which was the really, literally defeating this false religion that Israel embraced called the, the worship of Baal, stands up and literally begins to fight through what has been a deception to the entire nation. And what's incredible is, is that 1 Kings 18 didn't define him, but really 1 Kings 19 was the rat in the chapter. Because he hears a rumor that a woman named Jezebel is out to kill him. And all of a sudden, the lights come on, shows him his heart. He's not just the guy that knows how to defeat false religions. He's also the guy that gets afraid just like every one of us. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, he starts to get so fearful that he's fearing for his life. And what's crazy, as just a side note, in all my reading of the Old Testament, he is afraid of some woman that when you read his story, he never ever meets. They never even come close to meeting each other. That's why somebody defined fear as this, F-E-A-R, as false evidence appearing real is probably the best definition. That's why when the presence of fear comes into our life, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. We just have to have and make the effort to say, you may be a visitor, but you're not going to be a resident in my life is really what it is. And this is what happens. So 1 Kings 19 is the rat chapter. It's the chapter where all of a sudden the tragedy starts playing. In fact, let me read it to you. In fact, it says he felt worthless and he says, I'm no better than my, my predecessors and ancestors. He felt hopeless. The Bible says he ran for his life. He felt isolated. He says, I'm the only one left. 
He was unable to cope. He says, I've had enough. I can't go on anymore. And he actually wanted to die and said, I want to take my own life is what it says. You read the rat chapter. You read the chapter where the lights go on. And Elijah thought his problem was Jezebel, but we all have a Jezebel. Jezebel wasn't a problem. Listen to me. Jezebel was the catalyst. Jezebel was the lights switch going on in our life. Red numbers and red dots wasn't my problem. My problem was a fear that God needed to get at in my life. See, here's the thing I've realized about Jesus. Jesus did not say, if you follow me, you will not have any problems. Let me say that again, because some of you think that since I became a Christian, I'm not supposed to have issues. Let me just tell you something. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is God's presence, not comfortable circumstances that brings peace to my life. Let me say that one more time. I don't need, I don't need comfortable circumstances to have peace. I just need God's presence to have peace in my life. When I know he's there, I can begin to get through anything. But when that fear strikes us, every one of us here, Science says that when we experience fear, our body activates the nervous system, our heart races, our breathing grows faster and shallower, our muscles become intense, and blood begins to leave the brain and start pumping the heart. And it's amazing what fear can do. It's amazing the stories, our mind starts running, and what we start to do in those situations. But I don't think anybody knew fear than somebody who wrote what is probably considered one of the top 10 Christian books of all time, at least in the last 100 years. Her name was Corey Temboon. Corey Temboon wrote a book called The Hiding Place. She was responsible, her and her family, in Amsterdam for hiding Jews when the Nazis were coming in and bringing them to concentration camps. And it was Corey and her family that would hide them. And the name of the book was called The Hiding Place. When Pastor Gary Wilkerson and I were doing pastor conferences in Amsterdam, I had an opportunity to see the hiding place. And it is amazing to see this little, this little uh, secret room that probably you couldn't fit more than two or three people in there. But they would put 12 and 14 people in this hiding place to hide them until the Nazis found them. And for almost two years, Corey, her parents, and her, and her siblings were in a Nazi concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And the hiding place tells the story of them hiding the Jews, what God did as they were there. But nobody knew fear like Corey Temboon. Who knew what you were going to wake up to every single morning? Who knew? And Corey, after the death of all of her family in the Nazi concentration camp, except her, went on to live decades after. And I've read these words. Listen to this. This is so powerful of someone who has known fear. Listen to these words from Corey. She says, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Let me say that again, because there's about three sentences here. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. She says, you're carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. And then she says this, worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. That's what it does. See, you and I were created to live today. You and I were created to carry today's battles. But when we start beginning to carry Mondays and Tuesdays, we don't have the ability to go on. 
It is, it is something that even Jesus said that really Corey was just elaborating when Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow brings enough worries about itself. Today's trouble is enough for today. And that's when I realized fear became a revelation to me. And this is where I want to just share with you for the next few moments and encourage you and believe that God is going to do something special in this place today. Let me tell you what the revelation was. Fear showed me two things, that I need the people of God, and number two, I need the peace of God. I need the people of God in my life, but I also need the peace of God in my life. And I want to walk you through just two important things, because it's not just simply needing church services and needing to sing. We need the people of God. When I am fearful, I am so grateful for the people of God that are around me in my life. Let me just start there. I'm reading right now the journals of a man that literally has changed two continents um, over in the 19th century named John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And I'm reading his journals right now, and he says this. He can't even re remember who said it to him. He said, what changed the scope of his ministry was these words by a man who said this to John. He says, remember, John, you cannot serve God alone. You must therefore either find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion, which basically was saying is you can't do the Christian life all by yourself. You need the body of Christ. I need you in my life. If we try to do this all by ourselves, it's impossible. We can't. And that's why he was telling me, he says, if you don't have the right companions, then make them. How do I make them? Show up at the one o'clock service and say, listen, it's a smaller service as they're doing Q&A in here. Maybe I'll begin to find a friend. Maybe you're visiting today and you need to go up to room 204. You don't know who you're going to connect with up there. Do you know how important it is when they talk about the marriage conference that's coming up or the day retreat with, our, with the singles, with, with, with the um, uh, college ministry or the strictly youth are, go, are going on their retreat? Do you know how important that is? You know what you're doing? You're creating relationships that you cannot create in this sanctuary. Because in the sanctuary, we're worried about getting out and getting to wherever we need to go. That's why this is so important. Listen to me. God is telling us you, don't, you should not, and none of us should worry alone. That when we're dealing with fear, we need each other. This is what was happening to me. It was turning into this tragic novel until the people of God came to my rescue and spoke words. I want you to jot this, this, this Bible verse down. This is so important for us here at TSC. Listen to these words. Proverbs 12.25 says this. Anxiety in a man's heart will weigh it down, but a good word will make it glad. Listen to those words. Anxiety, fear, red numbers, red dots will weigh a man's heart down. But one good word, now pause for a second. When we talk about good words, don't just limit it to a pulpit. Don't just limit it to the choir. Every one of you in this place has good words to share with somebody. And this is the challenge. Everyone here, look at me, balcony. 
Because when all of a sudden the curtain comes down, you know what happens? We are rushing out of this building to be first in line to get our car out of the parking garage, to get to the subway. I want to make sure I get over here. I've got to get over. And do you know what happens? Sometimes we have, we forget, we have the ability to take the weight off somebody with one good word. We can literally begin to turn someone's anxiety into gladness. And the problem is, we depend upon these guys to do it all. All of us have this ability. The Bible doesn't say anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word from the pastor makes it glad. Every one of us is included in this. Oh, I've got to tell you, if I find somebody, I love what one man said. He said this. He says, if, if you consistently encourage people, you will be a person in high demand in this church. Seriously. Because we're living in a time that we have to realize how important it is that when you come to this place, you don't know what people have gone through to get here today. And when we think of a, but one word can gladden their heart. And, and can we just put aside just for a moment, just for a moment, and just be real? I, I, let, let's, put a, let's put aside, this is not some prophetic word. This is not like God is saying to you. How about this? Hey, you look good in that dress today. How about that one? Oh, I don't know how spiritual. That's very spiritual. Because sometimes they've never heard a compliment for the last three and four years. And how about coming to church and go, oh, girl, you got your hair done. You look good today. Why not? Mm, look at those nails. Why can't you say that? Because we're in church. We need to say those kind of things in church. We need to go, Pastor David, your hair... Pastor David, you look, that suit looks good today, Pastor David. See, now he has anxiety in his heart, and so, Pastor Patrick, say something nice to him. Think how amazing that is, that before you run out to catch a subway or to get your little ticket validated to pull the car out, give someone a good word. When you're watching the guy get your car, run, run, sweating to get your car. How about saying, hey, thank you for working so hard. Why not? The, literally, you have the opportunity of taking anxiety and turning it into gladness. We need the people of God. I, I read this story over in Canada at Vancouver Island. This large fish, fishing vessel somehow hit these hidden rocks and was beginning to sink. And the two fishermen threw the lifeboat over as the ship was quickly sinking. And what happened was when they jumped in the lifeboat of these frozen waters, they didn't realize that the nylon cord was still connected to the sinking ship. And the ship was beginning to go down and it was taking the life raft down. Do you know what, the, know what they did? They had no knife, nothing to cut it with. So they started chewing through the rope. And when the one guy's jaws got, got, got tired, the other guy came. And then the other guy came and it took 45 minutes. But when that ship went down, both of them working together, bit through the rope and saved their lives. Sometimes I need help biting through the rope that wants to take me down. Sometimes I need your teeth to work with my teeth so we don't go under in these battles that are coming against us. Look at your neighbor and just show him your teeth. Just say, we're in this together. Go ahead and show it to him. Hey, 
when we got on a plane yesterday to fly into New York City, myself and Cindy and our kids, can I just tell you something about that plane? What's amazing is that plane is made up of 10,000 individual parts, and you know what's crazy? Not one of those parts can fly on their own. There's no wings on seats. There's none of those things that levitate off the ground. But isn't it amazing that when you put all those parts together, it can take 200,000 pounds off the ground. It can take it up 30,000 feet, send it 700 miles across the nation. That when you put the right parts together, you will go higher than you've ever gone, faster than you've ever gone, and further than you've ever gone. But you by yourself, you can't fly. Put the body of Christ together, and then we have have the ability to do things we cannot do by ourselves. That's the people of God. Solitary religion, Christianity by yourself, it doesn't work. Stop sitting in a seat by yourself, getting angry, angry with everybody. Oh, you lift your hands and you're touching my space. Stop. That's what you just need to go now. That point. Enough. We need each other. This is where God puts us together. I needed people to get me out of that funk of fear when the rat, when the rat showed up. And I looked at him and going, I'm a fraud. I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. I preach around the world, don't fear. And I'm looking at red numbers and taking pictures of my feet. I need the people of God to center me sometimes. Thank you, body of Christ, for being who you are. But the second thing I need is this, and this one's important, and we close with this. The second thing is this, because I want to talk about the peace of God, but I want you to listen. Fear needs a replacement, and the forever replacement is not just getting people in your life. People are the entry point. People are not enough. It's almost going to sound contradictory, but listen, people are not enough to fight fear. I, I need something more in fighting fear. I was reading the story of two explorers that were on a jungle safari in Africa when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped in front of them. And one man just goes, keep calm, the first explorer said. Remember what we read in that book on wild animals. If you stand perfectly still and look the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. And his companion said, sure, you've read the book. I've read the book. But I don't think the lion has read that book. <laughs> See, when you're looking at the lion eye to eye, I, I don't need to know I, I've read a book about this. I need something a little bit more than I've got a book about this fear. There's something. Okay, jot this down. People can comfort you, but only God can bring peace to you. And the problem comes is when we depend upon people to bring peace, when only God can bring peace. People can comfort us. They can get me through a day. They can get me through a couple days. But then all of a sudden, and here's the danger. Let me say something to single people. The danger is, is that when you don't find your, your peace in God, then you start looking to some relationship and you put God expectations on a relationship that literally that person can never meet in your life. See, people can comfort, but only God 
can bring the peace that's there. Number one, the number one highlighted Bible verse on Kindles around the world is this one. Not John 3.16, not Psalm 23. It's this one. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension and understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Number one highlighted verse on every Kindle around the world. Because you're dealing with the world that lives in anxiety. That lives in fear. Their red numbers and red dots are different than mine. But they're looking for some type of peace. And not just any peace. You know what I love about this passage? It says God's peace. The peace that God has amongst a chaotic world is the peace that he begins to give to you. In fact, one modern version says it this way. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I like the way it says that. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Then... Because you belong to Jesus Christ, God will bless you with a peace that no one can completely understand. And this peace, I love this last part, and this peace will control the way you think and the way you feel. See, I can't let people, people, it's impossible for people to do that. I've got to, I need the peace of God. Really, he was giving us kind of a, a, a strategy when those red number and red, and red dot days come. This is what he was saying. Number one, he was saying, when, when you face that moment, replace fear, replace your worry with prayer. Okay, let me tell you why that's important. Because as soon as I saw those red numbers, let me tell you what I did. Our, our doctor is a personal friend. I immediately was texting him and he was in some type of conference or meeting and couldn't answer me. And I just go, are you there? What's going on? Red dots. Click, click, click. Red dots. Look at this. What's going on? Red numbers. And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit say. Stop texting him and pray because you don't need to get all you can get from him is comfort, but you can get peace from me today. Our default program, the default program in us needs to be when we get sideswiped, we need to go, God, the first thing I need to do is pray because men can give me comfort, but only God can give me peace. And then he says, then God sends his peace right to the worry area. And the Bible says, we'll stand guard. That's what the word means and guard you like, like armed guards to protect you against those rogue thoughts that would come. And the Holy Spirit would begin, even who spoke to me and says, a mind that is worried is a mind that's without peace. And a mind without peace comes from a person who just hasn't prayed first. And I didn't pray first. I wanted to get peace from a doctor. I wanted to get peace from saying it was going to be okay. And then those people can't give it to me. They can comfort, but they can't give me the peace. One man said it this way. Listen to this. If you're going to worry, there's no need to pray. And if you're going to pray, there's no need to worry. Just choose the one that you want to do. I'm just telling you, I, it's keeping our eyes a little bit higher. I, I, I think the entry point to fear, one of the rats many years ago that came into my life was after being married to Sydney. I mean, we worked in, 
And we were just there in one of the hardest inner cities in America for almost three decades in Detroit, Michigan. And one of the, one of the hardest areas. And, and, and many of you know our story. We bought a triple X movie theater, turned it into a church. On one side was a, was a um, prostitution hotel. Another side was a strip club. Across the street was pornographic movies. And we had a church right there. I mean, we, we worked and I mean, it was, it was a dangerous area and God just did some amazing things and there was never any fear. And then all of a sudden, when we started having children, I don't know about anybody else, but this fear of flying came over me because I kept thinking, oh my goodness, this plane's going to go down. And what about my kids? I'm not going to walk my girls down the aisle. And I'm, and literally fear started to, to strike me. And I remember the day that God really helped me. I was sitting on a plane and I'm, and I'm just, I'm dying because he's, they're getting ready to take off and, you know, and people are telling me all this stuff. And this is the best that men can do. They were trying to comfort me. Can't give me peace. They were trying to comfort me that, man, you're more susceptible to an accident and you can die easier in a car wreck than you can in an airplane. And I'm just going like, that doesn't help. And I'm just looking at you going like, because you know what that is? That's comfort, but it's not peace. It's just words. And we're trying, I was trying to turn comfort into peace, but only God can give the peace. And I remember sitting on that plane, thinking of these words going like, I should, and, and he's going like, you have a better chance being in a car, all those things. And nothing was happening until I looked across the aisle and there was two pilots sitting there. And these guys were, were kind of jumping to the next city to fly for Delta. And so I'm sitting there, I'm going like, okay, if there's anybody that knows the noises and the bumps of a plane, it's those two guys. And whatever they do, I'm going to do. And seriously, for the next two hours, I just, they must have thought I was some stalker. I looked at them the whole time. So when the plane was going up, one guy crossed his legs. I crossed my legs. I was watching him. He pulled out a book. I'm going, mm, I can read a book here too. Finally, he, he reclined his seat. I reclined my seat at that point. And all of a sudden, he took a nap, and I just go, mm-hmm, I'm taking a nap at this point. Because if there's anybody knows about this plane, it's that man that's right there. And all I thought about was that's exactly what the disciples had a chance to do. Because the pilot was on the boat in Mark 4 when that boat was going like this. And when they found Jesus, what was he doing? They should have reclined their seats. If he's sleeping, I'm sleeping at this point. But we look to people to get comfort, but only God can give us the peace that we need in our lives. Only God can do that. So let me close with one of the most profoundest phrases that you use. You ready for this? In the 27 books of the New Testament, it's in 16 of them. It's in, it's, it starts in Romans and it hits Corinthians and both Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. Paul uses it in almost all of his books. First and second Thessalonians. Peter uses it. First and second Peter. It's found in Philemon. It's all the way even in the book of Revelation. And it's this phrase that appears. You ready for this? Grace and peace is what he would speak to the people of God almost starting every letter off this way, but I want you to notice something important about this as we close. Here's what Paul and, and all the writers say, grace and peace, but notice the order. There is no peace unless you have grace. 
And people pursue peace first and they never find it because they never found the grace of God that he can give to them. And that's why this order is so important. It's finding grace before you would begin even to pursue the peace. See, there's no peace without grace. Grace is what you get when you are born again. It means I get something I don't deserve. Ephesians 2.4, I am saved by grace. It is the beginning. When he says grace and peace, what he was basically saying is, start this journey with Jesus being born again, and you get so much more than you can ever bank on. Start with grace and peace goes, goes right along with it. And this is what he was telling us. Do you need peace in your heart? You have to start with grace. But so many of us are pursuing the wrong thing and God's going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't pursue that. Pursue me and you get that with me. Uh, let me, let me finish this. Uh, Cindy and I and our family were invited over. Our youth pastor was celebrating one of his children's birthday and he was asking us to come over to his house and to celebrate. So we were coming over with a, just a group and just to celebrate one of the kids birthdays. And so what I realized was this, do you know, with, with smartphones today, no one memorizes anything. Do you ever notice that I, I was in CVS the other day and they go, uh, I was buying something for the, for, for Cindy. And they go, do you have a CVS card? I said, yeah, I think my wife does. And then they asked me, they go, what's her phone number? It says wife on the phone. I don't know. Any so I said, I don't know. And, she, and the ladies look at me like, you don't deserve a discount at that point. I don't. I don't even know my wife's number. I don't know our church number. I don't know, I don't know anything. I just go like, oh, okay, here it is. And I just, I'll send you the contact. But knowing, knowing addresses, we don't know addresses anymore. We don't know. You just listen to GPS now. So if you, if you have a car and you drove here, you just listen to GPS. Turn right here, a thousand feet, turn left. And so... I'd been to my youth pastor's home. I just, I didn't remember how to get there. It only was like three miles from us. So I'm GPSing it. And so he lives down this road and I'm, we're talking in the car and everything. And I wasn't sure if that was the turn. And what I did was just so they would be nice to me. I changed the voice of my GPS to this British lady who is so nice. She's going like in a thousand feet. I don't have any British accent, but in a thousand feet, turn left. And I'm just going like, you're so nice. And so I'm driving and I missed my turn. You know, what's amazing is that the GPS never trash talked me. It never went like, really? Seriously. I told you a thousand feet earlier that you're going to have to turn and you blow right by like, you know what you're doing. So you know what? Why don't you figure out how to get to your destination? Cause I'm out. Can you imagine if all of it, if you have a GPS that does, you need to get a new phone. I'm just telling you that right now. It was, but here's what the lady does. This, it was incredible. It's like, I blew by it. She goes, turn around when possible. I said, I love you. You're awesome. Turn around when possible. This is fantastic. I turned around, found the house. It was that simple. And here's what's amazing. Even with the fear, even with the rats, God wasn't going really seriously. You've been born again for four decades. You've been in the ministry for over three decades. And now all of a sudden you, you get fear. You're afraid of red numbers and red. Seriously. 
You don't, you don't deserve to be preaching. Times Square Church? <clears throat> Sit in the audience. Can you imagine? And here's what God does. Turn around when possible. That's all it is. God is nicer than a British lady. He just says, turn around when possible and let's get on the right track. And at that moment, I thank God. The revelation was, thank you for your people. Thank you for your peace. And thank you for what you give to us. But can I help you today? Because some of you here don't have peace. And the reason why you don't have peace is because you don't have grace. Pastor Tim, how do I get grace? You ready for this? You need to turn around right now when possible. And this is that day because some of you are trying to find peace from people that the best they can do is give you comfort. You're trying to find peace from circumstances that I have to promise you will some of those circumstances, if it's not one, see life, we, we, we want life to sometimes be a merry-go-round, but life is really a roller coaster. And you just don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I don't have to worry about that because God has given me strength for Sunday. And then when I step into Monday, I, you promised to give me strength, but you told me not to think about Monday on Sunday. And the only way I can do that, remember this, the first thing we said, peaceful circumstances or calm circumstances is not what gives me peace. God's presence is what gives me peace. How do I get God's presence? You start with a relationship with God. Pastor Tim, how do I do it? I'm in church. That's, that's how we get a relationship with God. That's a good start, but that's not how you get a relationship with God. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you're watching. Some of you may be listening, maybe even tomorrow on a treadmill. You're listening on an elliptical. Maybe you're making a run through Central Park and you're listening to this. But I want you to understand, being in church is a good start, but that doesn't get you. That doesn't get you the peace of God. Uh, but I was water baptized. That's good, but that's not what Jesus said. But, 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 but I'm a Protestant or I'm a Catholic. Great, great, great labels, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Unless a man is born again, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Grace starts. I have to tell you, these are not magic seats. You don't sit here and go like, oh, I feel peace. It doesn't happen. This is, this is turn around when possible. How does it happen, Pastor Tim? It is as simple as ABC. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? A, I admit I'm a sinner. Something's broken on the inside. Can I just tell every one of us in this place, starting with me, none of us were born a floor model, assembly required on all of us. Like when I talk with somebody, I go like, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, since I was born. Ah, impossible. Nobody is born a Christian. If you, if you think that, you've never had children. Never had children. Just telling you. Isn't it interesting? You don't teach how many realize you didn't teach children to be selfish or lie? Did you ever notice that? Well, this is how you lie. When I ask you if you stole this, you say, I don't know what you're talking. That's not how you, that's not. You don't have to teach. Why? There's something broken in us when we're born. It's called a sinful nature. It leans to selfishness. I want to be autonomous. I don't want people telling me what I'm supposed to do. And what happens is, is that first part is going, God, I am a sinner. Now, now listen close because sometimes people forget this. We're not, some people think we, we've made mistakes and we need correction. That's not what we're saying. We are sinners and we need a savior. 
Uh, we just made some mistakes. Mm-mm. Then, then, then why would God have to send his son to die on the cross for us? If, okay, listen to me close. If you could fix yourself, then God sending his son to go through that pain would be the worst case of child abuse in the history of humanity. Why would you let your son go through that if we could fix ourselves? But it's B, A, I admit I'm a sinner. B, believing that Jesus died in my place for my sin because sin has to be paid for. The wages of sin is death. And God loves us so much to say, I don't want them dying. I'm going to send my son to die in their place. It's Jesus literally saying to us, it's me paying your price. This is the grace part. I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. I'm going to die a death that you should have died. I'm going to pay a price that you should have paid. And it's him doing it for us. Grace means I get something I don't even deserve. And it starts like this. You ready? This is important. And it starts like this. B, just believe in him. Wait, wait, wait. I got to get better. I got to get rid of all this stuff. And I got to, no, 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 no. It just says believe. Don't add anything else to that. Don't listen. Don't get religious. No, 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 we gotta, we gotta stop doing this and then we become a Christian. That's not what it says. That's religion. It says stop this and then you become a Christian. I'm gonna get to see, because some of you holiness people are going, mm, I don't know about this guy. I hope this is his last time speaking. Okay, <laughs> listen close. A, I admit I'm a sinner. I am self, I'm broken on the inside. I'm fearful. I'm broken on the inside. B, believing that Jesus died in my place. Believe it. You ready for this? Romans 10, 9, and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. But you got to stop stuff. You got to, it's not what it says. Believe on him. Look at me. You don't have to be perfect to become a Christian. You just need to be honest today. Just be honest. Okay, now the C part is the hard part. A, I admit I'm a sinner. B, I believe that Jesus died for me. C, I confess him as Lord. That's the part. It means you're the boss now. It means you have veto power. It means I trust you. I believe you know better. He's the pilot. He's the one we look at going like, he crosses, I cross my leg. He takes, I'm, I'm confess you as Lord. You're the one that guides this ship. I'm listening to you now. How do we listen to him? That happens through his word. When Pastor Carter preaches or Pastor Patrick, Pastor David, it happens up here. We learn what he's speaking to our own hearts. But we start with going, God, I'm broken on the inside. I'm messed up. I'm so grateful that you're here today. And you may say, well, I was confirmed. I was baptized. I had a bar mitzvah. I did all. Those are great things. I had my first communion. That's not what Jesus said. And look at me, folks. I think Jesus knows the, better, knows the best way to get to his house better than us. And if you want to get to heaven, don't trust your directions. Trust his directions. You must be born again. If he says must, you can't make it an option. If he says must, you can't go ahead and make it a multiple choice. It didn't say you have to be baptized to get to heaven. Listen, you go in that tank. If you went in that tank and you weren't born again, you come up a wet sinner. That's all you come up. You're not going to heaven. You're not. It starts when he changes us from the inside out. 
and he moves in and he can do that today. Bow your head with me, please. Everybody, if you're in the annex, if you're watching on our webcast, around the world, even listening to this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I want you to really, really start to make a decision. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? Which means when I make him my salvation, there's nothing to fear. But it's got to start with salvation. It's got to start with grace. Pastor Tim, what's the next step? It's being born again. That's the step. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, annex, balcony, main floor, watching on a webcast, I want to ask you one question. Listen to this. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And if Jesus gives us clear directions, you have to be born again, not show up at church, not be a Catholic, a Protestant, I'm Jewish, I'm a religious person. I've done some good, I do good things, I'm a good person. Those are great things, but that's not how you get to heaven. Jesus said, Jesus said, who cannot lie, unless a man is born again, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. And if you're here today, I'm telling you, you're about to make the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. Pastor Tim, I don't want to, I want peace in my life. Then we got to start with grace and grace starts with being born again. I'm not inviting you to be a member of a church. I'm not inviting you to be a Protestant Catholic or a religious organization. I'm inviting you to have a relationship with the most exciting person in the universe, Jesus Christ himself. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to do that. I want to take that step. It's as simple as this. I'm going to pray a prayer. In fact, we're all going to pray this prayer together. But if you're here and say, Pastor Tim, see, this is an RSVP. You have to RSVP. Jesus died for the whole world and gave you the invitation, but you need an RSVP today. I don't care if you're a student at Columbia. I don't care if you're a CEO downtown. I don't care if you live in public housing. I don't care what state you come from or what nation you're from. Every man is equal in the sight of God. And if you're here today, and you've never made that decision. We have a birth date. You know the day you were born. But do you have a second birth date? You have to know that date. And today could be that date. If you're here and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, man, I want that. I want to be part. I'm starting that journey today. Balcony, main floor. If that's you, and say, include me in that prayer. I want to be born again today. I'm making, I'm praying that prayer with you. Raise your hand right now, quickly. Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up in this place. Keep them up high, keep them up high. Okay, keep them up. I want to make sure I see every hand in the balcony. Here's what I want you to do. With those hands up, I'm going to ask you to do me one favor. Do me, do me this favor, because I want, to, I want us to cheer for you. Would you just stand to your feet right where you're at? Quickly, just stand to your feet. You're New Yorkers, you're not afraid of that. Come on, stand to your feet wherever you're at all over this place. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. All over the balcony. Come on. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We want to cheer for you and say this is us, the people of God, excited for what the decision. Now, there's a bunch of you in the balcony. Do me a favor. Move your knees and let them get out because I want to pray for you right here. Come here. Come on. Just come on down. Come on. You can make it. Let's go. Come right down here. Everyone. Balcony. Hurry up. Get down. Just say, I got to go. I'm, I'm going to heaven today. Quickly. Get down here as fast as you can. I want to pray for you. We'll move out of the way. We're the people of God. We'll move out of the way. You're going to be born again today. Come on. Clap for them as they come because this is an exciting day. Grace is coming. Grace is coming today. 
can we pray this together? Let's, here's what I want you to know. We're just going to pray these words together, and we want to start the journey today. Come on. Let's all say these words together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Now say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my Helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.